Hi, this is Kate Magic and you're listening to the Raw Living Podcast. RawLiving.eu is a webshop where we sell raw foods and superfood products from around the world. I founded the company in 2002 and um, usually on this podcast I do interviews with our suppliers but this time I thought it would be really beneficial to interview my good friend Emma Jones. Emma is a naturopath from Cardiff. Uh, she runs a school of naturopathy in Cardiff. She works with thousands of clients and she has a really clear understanding of cellular health and how the body works and how a virus works in the body and what creates illness in the body. And I think this is really valuable information to, to have at this time, one of the biggest issues I have with what's going on now is how there is so little education around health and preventative health and staying well and staying healthy because there's so much that we can share about how to stay healthy not just at this time but all the time so yeah really this is a really great interview I think really grateful for Emma to take the time and yeah please listen and share so that everyone can be empowered by really understanding how their body works and how viruses work in the body and what's going on in the body when people become chronically ill. Hi Emma, thanks for joining me today. Hi Kate, thank you for for having me. (laughs) It's my pleasure. Well we've been having lots of WhatsApp chats and I feel like we have really, really super valuable and interesting information to share. So I wanted to kind of just get a comprehensive insight into your understanding of health and viruses and um, yeah, all that kind of stuff. So maybe you want to start just by telling us a bit about yourself and, and your work and what you do. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so I'm, I practice as a naturopath and I, I run the School of Naturopathic Nutrition in Cardiff with my husband, Steve. And I've been involved in the naturopathic work since 19, I met um, Bob, Barbara Wren, who's a naturopath in 1994. And that journey started with me having lots of health issues myself. So it was very inspiring because actually within a short space of time, I resolved all of my health issues um, within a very short space of time and decided then to study with the college and in 96 studied and spent about seven years working alongside Barbara, well 10 years in total but seven years training and then went on to work in various colleges throughout the UK and then eventually set up my own naturopathic school in Cardiff in 2005 so it's been really wonderful over the years to really get that experience, but also to see patterns within people, mm. um, health histories and what works and what doesn't work. And I really have found over the years, you know, the combination of the raw food diet, the naturopathic techniques, and also uh, using specific um, supplements, you know, like essential fatty acids, for example, really supportive for the transition um, into health, really. And I think it's possible for everyone. So that's where I'm at. I, I currently practice, I still teach people to become naturopaths. And at this point in time, I feel really uh, sort of privileged in one sense to know what to do you know, and really inspired to help people with this. Because over the years, as you've probably found, Kate, you know, it's been a journey of 
delivery and it's almost like everything is accumulated at this point in time where yeah. we're really using this information and spreading that awareness in a much bigger way now yeah yeah so let's just clarify I always say Barbara Wren is kind of like the person that um inspired the current wave of interest in naturopathy would you agree that she's kind of been the most influential person to spread the naturopathic understandings in the past couple of decades absolutely I really feel that and for me it was she was a lifeline really for me because my life had grown come to a standstill at that point when I met her I had chronic fatigue and I'd had a history of anorexia actually as well and so the trans- transformation that occurred was so incredible and also then seeing how so many other people were transformed in her presence and she's and she's 80 now so she's been working in this field for 50 years I think mm-hmm. 40 or 50 years actually so and written a couple of books you know and so yeah she she really is an inspiration and she's passed down that knowledge uh, as well as you know other people like yourself Kate you know that the raw food movement that's had a tremendous effect really on how people have changed over the years and got their health back. Mm. And so you said you set up the college in 2005 so you must have worked yes. with the people yourself in that time. Yeah, absolutely. And just had uh, so much change in people really with the techniques that uh, the combination of the naturopathic techniques and change in diet. And as I said earlier, the patterns that go on in people's bodies in terms of there's a particular sequence of events that often happens when people get ill in the same way that if we know what that understanding is and what that sequence of events is, we can actually retrace and undo that. So the belief system within this approach is that if we can find our way into illness, there's always a way out, you know, so there is always a uh, a, a resolution. It's just putting that work in so that we can fully understand what's happening and also really heal the body in a, in a true way rather than just doing a sort of, plaster effect really you know you know through medication or even sometimes natural medicine can be used mm. as a sort of temporary fix if we don't look at diet diet is the core of helping people to get to that true health picture mm. and lifestyle right there's so much you can do yeah absolutely yeah Eat lifestyle yeah. yeah yeah absolutely yeah okay so let's dive in then so can you explain to us from your naturopathic standpoint how a virus works in the body? What's going on when, when a virus enters the body? Yeah, so a virus actually needs a particular set of circumstances in order to be activated. So as, as we, we all have gathered up to this date, there's many viruses around us all of the time. And it's actually the temperature in the body, the balance of pH, the cutting off of oxygen from that allows that virus to actually uh, spread for want of a better word or activate so we can have viruses in the body and actually have no effect from them but it's only when we're in a situation where we've become dehydrated maybe the diet isn't the way it should be therefore the cell the cells throughout the body aren't cleansing sufficiently and also the temperature so the the virus will activate in a body that's actually not not a normal body temperature so they don't actually survive very well in heat 
So if we get heat to the body, we get, as you mentioned earlier, other lifestyle habits like exercise going on, we can actually change the temperature within the cell and change the pH as well. Mm. So I think it's interesting to look at actually Beauchamp's um, research. Uh, it was the Pasteur-Beauchamp argument is really interesting because Pasteur was the the person really who set and establishment and when he did his research he actually said at the time when he wrote his um, uh, reports on the subject that Pasteur's theory was actually uh, at the time the sort of basis of the medical establishment's view now so what he said that um, viruses even though they're all around us they actually the only thing that would solve us or save us then would be antibiotics and vaccinations Pasteur was the person who sort of propagated that mm. and then there was another guy around at the time during this time and all, all this virus question was was being done sort of back in the 50s actually Pasteur uh, Beauchamp said that actually viruses are around us but we're not to be afraid of them they're actually there to help us so a virus when it is there to heat up and clear the toxicity within the cell so actually the temperature the body temperature and the clearing that goes on at a cellular level is actually there to help us to be able to create detoxification really so that our, our cells become clear and therefore we gain more vitality so he re-established actually that viruses actually were helpful in certain circumstances as long as we treat them in a specific way as in you know nurse the temperature without suppressing it and also you know but allow to go through that detoxification so what Beauchamp did he took this evidence to Pasteur who was actually on his deathbed and Pasteur said at the time, I've been wrong. I'm actually, I agree with you, he died. And then the medical establishment published Pasteur's theory over Beauchamp's and Beauchamp's work was actually destroyed. So it's interesting that we've, the, the theory that we currently have around viruses is actually one that's untrue and it's been propagated over 50 years, really. And, you know, we had a, we're, we're actually working from an old script. We're working from, situation where we, we don't fully understand what a virus is properly and how to treat it and therefore there's all this fear you know uh, that the fact that we can catch it in the way that we're told we can and actually if in a body that's got a, a great ph so if the body's alkaline if the oxygen levels are good hydrated viruses can't touch us really there's no possibility they can survive within the body does that make sense Totally, totally. So let's get straight into vaccines then. So can you tell us a little bit about your understanding of why vaccines might not be the best way to approach um, health? Yeah, so it's a big subject, isn't it? And people often get quite uh, emotionally charged around it. And again, I think it's because often people are not looking at the real facts or they haven't done the background reading on how this sort of way of working with disease has come about really. So the, the first thing really is to talk about my own history in terms of vaccinations and how it would have affected me and you know my, some of the, the sort of family members um, that have had effects of vaccines. So for example with myself I, I was fully vaccinated as a child. My parents didn't have any information to say you know to look why they might 
in terms of, you know, childhood diseases, but also I had them quite bad. So I remember just being ill year after year until the point I decided when I was 12 years old that I would go vegan and uh, actually change my diet. And once I gave up dairy, actually, I never really sort of had any colds or viral sort of things after that, really, until I got into my 20s, which again was dietary related um, in terms of the toxicity levels at that point you know causing the ME so at, there was a really big turning point for me at 13 when I had BCG and it was so noticeable that some of my family members said you weren't the same person since that point you know so you know going into the teenage years feeling healthy and then you know for a few years and then suddenly having the BCG and it really knocked me down and it gave me a sort of glandular fever type of effect but also many other things, you know, in terms of low-grade sort of vitality, really. So that was the first point where we really noticed in our family that there was an issue with vaccinations. And then uh, because the next generation then went on to have children, this was before I had my own children, some of my cousins had um, the MMR vaccine for their children. And actually two of those children uh, actually became autistic literally overnight so I'm not talking you know it was a gradual thing they were healthy children and then suddenly they had the autism that they had the autism literally the next day after the vaccination so it was a very definite proof that these vaccinations in a particular history so if someone has a particular history where there's maybe predispositions for certain things in the family or that there's been a history of not, not such a great diet in terms of, you know, the sort of quality of food and that sort of thing. So the combination of predisposition, diet, lifestyle, then caused these children to be autistic and really noticeably autistic, you know, where they're not in mainstream schooling and that sort of thing. So, so that was uh, quite a big learning curve for us, you know, in the family. And um, we sort of, that then sort of set me on my journey to explore the vaccine sort of debate as we call it and actually what I found along the way that the more you dig into the into the sort of theory of vaccines the more I found actually there was no evidence that they work yeah. and actually it's the contrary you know the vaccines actually were causing more effects than the, the diseases themselves so it was quite an interesting experience for me because I started to uncover you know what were the the sort of side effects of these really and uh, what I noticed with my students when I was teaching them, if we looked at, we asked all our students one year to look at their, get their medical notes and actually look at the points where they'd got ill and they'd gone back to the doctor for a particular uh, problem. And it was usually within two weeks of every vaccine, you know, adult vaccines. And in childhood vaccines, there's often repetitive trips to the doctor with ear issues, um, eczema, inflammation. Um, for some people, it's much more severe, you know, so it's not a mild uh, symptom that's come from a vaccine. It's a really severe re reaction, just like with family members um, that's happened in my family. So, so, I, so I've done a lot of background research over the years. I've seen and experienced clients' reactions to vaccines. And so it's brought much more awareness. And I think the most recent thing really, which through my observation has been uh, flu vaccines and the effects of them. So for example, the flu vaccine has, um, it has a lot of mercury in it and other 
chemicals, which the medical profession actually say these chemicals have to be in there to preserve the vaccine. And in older generations who are having the vaccine, they're actually getting issues, which I've noticed, and people, many people have reported, um, where they're actually getting mental health issues after. So because we know that mercury is a neurotoxin, it's actually quite um, interesting and also really sad that older people are getting this vaccine year after year of a certain age and actually their mental health is deteriorating. And I've had a couple of clients actually where they went down the road of flu vaccine and became sort of almost Alzheimer's or, you know, that memory issue, which we, we reversed with diet eventually, but it did bring a big problem for them, you know, in those cases. The sad thing about childhood vaccines is that now, you know, whereas, you know, when I was younger, we might have had sort of under six vaccines, you know, up to six at the most by the age of 10. Now we're into sort of 20 plus vaccines. And the recommendation for, yeah, what I mean by that, Kate, is actually the body is, when we vaccinate, especially repetitive vaccines, the body goes on fight or flight. And it's almost like the body doesn't know how to switch that off. It's in fight or mm. that disease. And so it puts that person in a very vulnerable state because they're in stress mode continuously. And so if you repeat that year after year, depending again on illness where there's huge inflammation there's autoimmune issues going on and um, I think for you know for some people it's really hard to reverse mm -hmm. it's years of damage you know and I think that for me the worrying thing is that actually you know it's the, they're increasing all the time the numbers of vaccines these children are getting and the adverse reactions are so strong and it's not being really a sort of addressed really I think I do encourage my clients to to actually record their side effect if they've had one with a yellow card at the GP mm. and if you do that it actually does become a statistic mm. if you don't do that if you tell your doctor then it doesn't get recorded mm. therefore it doesn't become a number or a stick you know because many people aren't reporting their issues because they they tell their doctor and the doctor sort of just pushes that view aside and says, oh, it can't be that, you know, and therefore they, they don't get that sort of understanding then or nowhere to go really in terms of something has happened to them, you know. Can you just explain to us a bit more about what's happening on a cellular level? And you talked about the cells, you know, using a, a flu as a cleanse. Can you explain that to us a bit more and why a vaccine would suppress that? Absolutely. So the, the theory within naturopathic nutrition is that when we have a cold, it's the body actually releasing internal, internal mucus or internal toxicity. And actually, it's the, the theory is that the body's always working for us. It's never working against us. So if we have a cold, or if we have a temperature or a cough, it's, a, it's our body's natural signaling to give us a, a cue that we need to actually do something about our lifestyle and our health in order to become fully healthy again. So the clearing usually happens between three and 10 days and it's called an acute cleanse. And actually, if we deal with that well, if we nurse ourselves through natural methods, the idea is we come out of that feeling more, of, more well than we've ever done really, than we've ever 
before we went into that particular illness Mm -hmm. and those events will often happen around seasonal changes so like the spring equinox the autumn equinox is the most powerful one and I think it's really interesting that this whole virus sort of episode has pandemic has actually happened around it started around the spring equinox and so the body was having that natural clearing for many people especially as many many people more than ever in the UK went for flu vaccine during December or between September and December I think that that particular equinox for people they weren't naturally clearing so children aren't really allowed to have those codes or they don't have the energy to have those clearings that they're meant to have in order to get well mm. and so the vaccination what it's doing is actually putting a lid on that it's almost putting the body into fight or flight so the body has no energy to cleanse mm. and that cleanse then is suppressed so it goes deeper into something more more i suppose uh, chronic really so if we don't treat those symptoms in a very natural way even things like paracetamol for example it actually stops the lid on the natural inflammation process which then suppresses the fever which then pushes that toxicity into a deeper place in terms of the body and the typical thing around this sort of virus that we're dealing with is actually pneumonia that's the side effect of suppressed temperature and so you know the question is you know it's a com i suppose you know we're, we're looking at okay if people were taught how to nurse their bodies naturally again we would just sort of avoid all this but this idea that you know if we vaccinate year after year we're going to get rid of colds and flu is just laughable really and scary because people aren't actually having those cleanses that they're they naturally are needing to have in order to stay well. So I think you know, leading into the coronavirus, we've had an issue where you know flu vaccines have been massively pushed over five years or so, mm. more so now than ever in the younger generations and the older generations. And they've actually even do repetitive flu vaccines now where they might have said every year, they were saying in the older generation every six months. And therefore, how would that person ever get over that level of toxicity Mm. so when i'm talking toxicity i'm not just talking about suppressing the body's natural cleanse but also the additives that go into vaccinations Um, for example i mentioned mercury but actually there's much sort of more difficult things in there also than that if you can think even worse than you know mercury there's actually mc which is do you know what that is kate tell us tell us it's the aborted fetal cells Mm-hmm. and other forms of DNA which cause a huge immune reaction for some people the body doesn't actually recover from that you know it stays in a place of suppression so that so then if they have natural colds or they have natural clearings they haven't got the energy to do that cleanse and therefore they get into a chronic state uh, with lung issues or for some people brain issues you know because it's going much deeper mm-hmm. yeah so like you said there's a lot of debate around vaccines and i i totally agree i think it's just lack of education and people not really being given the right information about what's actually happening in the body and what a vaccine is actually doing and i would say mm-hmm. it's actually a really similar situation with 5g as well is that it's been 
labeled as something that you know conspiracy theorists talk about without having actually a really good conversation about what is happening in the body as a result of putting these radio waves into the air so i'd like to get into that next can you tell us a bit about what your understanding is of how these kind of emfs are affecting us on a cellular level Yes, thank you. Yeah, so yeah, the 5G sort of um, debate, you know, is quite strong, isn't it, at the moment? And I, I prefer to call it a truth theory, really, because rather than a conspiracy um, <laughs> theory, because um, actually there's been 26,000 reports saying that 5G is actually a killer weapon energy. Wow. And the, you can find that information on the Bio Initiative report. And what's interesting about it is that even though we have the proof that, you know, it is a potent energy that is not going to be helpful for anyone, um, there's still a suppression of the truth around it or ignoring the truth, really, even though these reports have been there. And the reason why we know about these reports is the armies and particularly um, in Russia, they use this particular frequency to actually uh, harm people. So we know that it's used for warfare and it's also been used for crowd control. So the frequency is so severe that people actually want to run away from it, you know, want to get away as fast as they can from from that energy. And what it actually does, um, Kate, is it cuts off the oxygen from the cell. So what we were talking about earlier is actually um, how important oxygen is for cellular health. And the, it penetrates the cell almost like a needle effect um, into the cells so quickly that it's like what people are describing, you know, at the moment with the coronavirus, this sharp pain that they get in the chest. Oxygen cutoff feels like that, this sort of shooting pain um, within the lungs. And also, uh, it's interesting that it actually affects hemoglobin. So there's two things happening that the hemoglobin is being robbed through the process of 5G hitting the cell and then the oxygen supply is cut off. So that person has very quick symptoms and quite serious symptoms from that. And it will affect different people in different ways because not everyone, as I said, has got the same health story. It may be at one person, it may be really severe effect because of their health history. And for another, it would be like a slow poisoning, you know, over a gradual period of time. And, you know, through our work, we've got techniques that we use, you know, to protect from certain frequencies. But with the 5G, it's actually what's interesting about it is it's, wow, you know, the combination, we started off with uh, 2G, you didn't bring in 1991, and that was 1.9 gigahertz. And now we're up to 95 gigahertz with 5G. So it's like really huge levels of I suppose, exposure to microwave waves more than we've ever felt, you know, on the planet. So it's uh, it's an incredible thing to be dealing with right now, you know, alongside everything else. I think it's it's had its impact in a big way um, in terms of the, you know, the places where it's had, they've had 5G, they've had quite a lot of issues around the coronavirus um we could highlight those but all the information's online in terms of where where those places are and you know what what the effect was of 5g so so it's interesting that you know why why we need to be fighting it is because 
actually it's not conducive for us long term and I, I just really hope that eventually it will be banned because the the long-term effects for everyone are going to be quite disastrous really mm-hmm. we will find a way to cope with it you know the people who are in are interested in health and will have devices and dietary solutions but not everyone has access to that Kate so in those cases people are really struggling or will be struggling much more if it does if it does get rolled out fully in the way that uh, the governments are saying they want it to be rolled out and um, I think that you know what is interesting is that there's so much evidence to say you know 26,000 reports that say that it's not good for us so I think we need to almost flip it and say okay show us something that says it is okay for us you know because it's not it's not okay um so and some there's some schools of thoughts that say actually where there's been a pandemic and you can actually look at the graphs online um there are graphs that say that there's always been some kind of rollout of um microwave frequencies so um, yeah this it's interesting you know the it all links up really even as far back as uh in when we had the spanish flu 1918 you know that was the first rollout of microwave frequency so there's well, lots we, of uh we are a lot of things right all the all the things that happen in the body is is like an happens by electricity right so it doesn't make sense that electricity in the air wouldn't affect our internal yeah. electricity yeah absolutely and so it's an accumulation point for us isn't it we've had you know 2g 3g 4g now we're into 5g and you know this electrical smog that we've all been living with and not understanding has got to a critical point really Mm -hmm. where hopefully the 5g campaigns have brought awareness not just to 5g but to electromagnetic pollution generally uh, because you know over the years I've met so many people who've had electromagnetic illnesses and my husband was one of them when we first met and he had been living next to a cell tower quite close to one for a a year or so and had got totally debilitated in his health Mm -hmm. so you know these sort of effects on people are quite hard to reverse if people don't have the access to natural medicine because the medical establishments really don't have an answer to it you know so so i'd like to go a bit deeper now and just go further into um your understanding from a naturopathic perspective of you know you touched a bit on how chronic health conditions develop because of suppression in the cell and the body not able to do um, the kind of cleansing work that it needs to do. Can you yes. go a bit deeper with that and explain how that um, how that connects into inherited toxicity and also then the medication that people are receiving? So if someone has a chronic health condition like heart disease or diabetes or cancer, how the medication that they would receive from a conventional doctor would actually um, escalate yeah. the condition? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So when when we're born, we actually have an inherited health picture of our parents and our grandparents. So we're, we're really not born with a clean slate in terms of, you know, perfect body, perfect health. Um, so we have inherited imbalances already. And, and then, you know, the, how we are nurtured when we're little, especially between the ages of naught and seven, 
really affects our lifelong of health. Um, things like you know how we were born and you know breastfed and you know were we vaccinated or not that all has an impact and that then builds the picture over time of how our health story builds up so for some one example is if a child is not breastfed and then they're put straight on dairy cow's milk there's some side effects of that such as you know can repetitive um, sore throats mucus in the system etc and maybe that child would then be given antibiotics so that therefore that bod- the body doesn't naturally heal so it may sort of go deeper um, what another side effect of uh, the dairy industry is eczema so uh, one example would be if you put steroid creams on eczema it will usually then develop into asthma so we can see the traveling of illness going deeper up towards the head as we progressively get worse with our story if we're using suppressive medications etc so in direct link with what's happening now with coronavirus we've got the when people have lung issues they almost definitely will have in their history ibs or bowel disorders somewhere even if it's not in that generation it may be in the previous generation so we we know in the traditional medicine theory that the colon is very very connected with the skin lungs and the mind so in this case um, that we're looking at now with the virus, people would have a predisposition to lung issues if they've got bowel issues, IBS, difficulties with bowel in the family history, or suppression of skin issues, as I said, using creams that may be suppressed in uh, eczema, psoriasis, those types of uh, skin problems and then it goes deeper into the lungs and that's the route that the body naturally takes it goes deeper into the being the individual so that eventually if it's at lung level and then we put in a suppressant like antibiotics or uh, anti-inflammatories etc it then goes deeper into the person's makeup so we're in a really chronic state then because we're right up to head level in terms of the toxicity levels does that make sense? Does that give a yeah yeah, yeah that what we describe as the metal element in the Chinese system is that particular connection with the mind and the colon or the lungs with the colon, and so with people with lung issues, there would be a huge predisposition to metal issues, what we call you know the colon issues, skin issues, lung issues, mental health issues, and that is all connected really to the bowel in in the Chinese system. So if you put in, if the body is trying to cleanse with a temperature or a cough, and remembering the dry cough that people are getting is linked with lack of oxygen, and the body doesn't actually get what it needs, the oxygen or the right natural treatment to bring that inflammation down naturally, and the, the, you put in something like paracetamol, which in France actually they've proven this and they, they temporarily put a hold on people yeah. using paracetamol and abrufin because yeah. they know that if you put those into a body that's already struggling, the toxicity levels go deeper or to a certain degree, the inflammation process goes down and then it's suppressed so that the body can't have that clearing, you know? So, so the symptoms there then when the, when the anti-inflammatories go in or the painkillers, the, the symptoms go deeper into the person's being. So, then you've got a chronic life-threatening situation where there's less oxygen, there's more acidity, there's more dehydration. 
there's a cell that's really dying, you know, cut on a basically every cell of the body is cut off from oxygen and the, the lungs then are really showing up in distress with that. I think in relation to heart disease, again, it's quite, again, a, a deep inherited story really of heart disease. You know, it's something that we don't build up in just one lifetime. It's inherited stories from our family members and diet and lifestyle over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. It sort of just doesn't come out and out of the blue, you know, it's sort of there as a sign to tell us, do something quickly, it's quite high up in the body. So things that are actually more superficial would be sort of not the major organs, basically. So the skin, for example, the bowel is quite a superficial area to have a problem. But if we start getting into heart and lungs, we see it as a much more chronic issue and something that we need to do something about quite quickly. Otherwise, that person gets into quite a lot of distress with, mm-hmm. with their health. And of course, if that is not treated in a, in a way that's nurturing, mm-hmm. that person then goes into a very deep state of disconnection, really, we call it a naturopathy or, or a chronic illness, you know, disease. I guess we can also link vaccinations with autoimmune issues. And we know this because I've seen, you know, reports where the unvaccinated actually, the immune autoimmune issues are actually almost zero they're non-existent whereas in the vaccinated they're very very high you know the the actual figures I'm not sure of but I know they're quite high just because of my work you know I meet so many people with autoimmune disorders Mm -hmm. so we know from the virus so I think you've done a, a really clear job so far of explaining you know how a virus can impact people negatively and how a healthy person wouldn't have anything to fear from a virus um there's quite a lot of research to show both in italy and germany well in in italy they they said that over 99 percent of people that had that died from the virus um had pre-existing conditions mainly heart disease cancer and diabetes in germany yes research is showing the same thing so could you explain to us why in your understanding that would be the case why those particular pre-existing conditions would make people more susceptible Mm -hmm. yeah so the first thing would be medication so the body already compromised with having to deal with medication and also what got those people into cancer or heart disease situations would have been back to diet and lifestyle. You know, what that, that person just doesn't develop cancer overnight or heart disease overnight. It's a, it's a very long process and remembering the body's always trying to help us. So the signals would have come long before the heart disease or the cancer, but often people are not wanting to change underlying and so a medication is just really stabilizing, but not healing the situation. So in those cases, it's the pH is, has changed and the body's in a state of life, wet because of dehydration and cellular um, lack of oxygen, as, as we spoke about earlier. So the, the cell will often, the cells throughout the body will often be cut off from oxygen and compromised to start with so then if you have a further stress um, remembering stress dehydrates and i believe there's been a lot of stress with this 
yeah. virus, you know, not just the physical effects, but the emotional effects and the, um, the continuous information that we're being given through the media. Yeah. And, you know, uh, this has an effect on people on, on their stress levels. And I think if you put stress in the picture alongside a diet that's, you know, not good and medications, then it's just at a tipping point where the person can't cope and they're, they're not able to have what we described earlier as that natural cleanse, that natural clearing, which for many people, I've been speaking to people and people who've had that temperature and that cough, healthy people, which may, you know, need to have that natural cleanse, they've got over it within five days. Mm. Whereas for those people who are on medications, they're really feeling that they can't get over it because they haven't got the energy to overcome that mm. or the vitality. Well, that was an interesting bit of information that I found out at the beginning, which I think just got completely buried. But when I was researching it in the beginning, it was medically defined as a self-limiting disease. The definition of a self-limiting disease is a disease that in the vast majority of people will naturally run its course without yes. medication and, and just pass. So the fact that yeah. it's, it's defined medically as a self-limiting disease is very counterintuitive to the 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 measures that have been put in place right yes yeah exactly so the the other thing um that's also uh, very much up for debate is how they are um getting the statistics for uh the people who have the virus and both who have the virus and who die from the virus. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you, your understanding is about how they test for it and how they decide who has it and what a positive yes. test is? Yeah, so currently from what I, I, I'm reading, um, and like you said, it is up for debate, um, the, the, the way that we're, people are being tested is it, tested is actually antibody testing and antibodies actually tell us that the body's fighting sudden something so it doesn't actually test for viral activity it's actually testing for the body's defense system really and is it on fight or flight as i, as I described earlier so people can be on fight or flight if they've previously had a vaccine usually someone would be on fight or flight within six months of having a vaccine you know so flu vaccines that happen during winter time you know that sort of fits into that bracket and there's been some links with the flu vaccine and uh, up in those antibodies in the system so the body's in a sort of state where it's showing viral activity for what they're sort of stating from antibody testing but we don't actually know it's coronavirus you know so so many many people will have antibodies reactions right now because of stress because of diet because of 5g because of vaccinations so it's not a clear testing method mm. currently mm. and as a result we're getting i think fake numbers really of you know the, the numbers are increasing but yet are they real cases mm. so i think it also really relates to i remember um working with you in in wales in 2013 and um there was a measles outbreak at that time um, and I remember yes. some conversations with you then about, you know, how that was managed. Could you tell us a bit about, because you work with so many people, right? You're so involved in the local community. Mm -hmm. so you, yes. you see it 
you see it really clearly about what was going on within the community. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that story and, and what happened in 2013? Yeah, so what happened was that actually in 2012, the government re, uh, had realised that MMR take-up was 67%, so it, it had actually dropped from 99% in uh, 1995 to 67% by 2012. So people were starting to realise there were reasons to question MMR. And as a result, rather than making the vaccination mandatory, which they didn't want to do, there was a propaganda campaign which told made people fearful actually to actually go out and you know get this vaccine that maybe they hadn't had. And some people were getting it twice. And I think there was something like 1,800 extra people at the time got vaccinated. And actually, as a result, we did have measles going on in Wales. And it wasn't nowhere near an epidemic, um, but it was made out to be an epidemic at the time because everyone who had any sort of symptoms related to what they thought might be measles, because it was a bit sort of big scaremongering thing on really in the newspapers, etc., and uh, everyone became a statistics who actually went into hospital thinking they might have something in relation to uh, measles. And as a result, the numbers increased over a period of time where they were collecting false data, basically. Eventually, it did get aired and actually was published that only one person actually died of measles. And that person actually was an alcoholic and he had... Um, other health-related issues, so he didn't actually die of measles. Um, so I think, you know, it was interesting because at the time there was a big panic and people were falsely made out to feel that they had to go and do the, the vaccination. The vaccination actually created the epidemic. Mm. Actually, we didn't have many cases before that happened. Um, actually, there was an increase of measles during that time, but it wasn't anywhere, anywhere near what we thought it was in relation to what we were being told through the newspapers and uh, the news, you know, the television. My understanding is that's that's what they're doing now, right? Is they're they're saying that people who who have the virus are dying of the virus when they would have been in you know, they were already very ill, right? So you can't, so in the same way they were saying um, you could die of measles when you can't die of measles, you can only die from complications caused by measles. Absolutely. Standing with the virus, you can't die of coronavirus, you can only die of complications caused uh -huh. by having pre-existing conditions with the virus, with the treatments. Absolutely. And I've been, you know, I, I tend to sort of, uh, as we are, we all do in the natural health field, sort of listen out for the stories in relation to this. And I can think of three stories directly linked with uh, people, friends of friends or uh, clients of family, where they have had really severe complications. One person's uh, grandmother was very ill anyway, and she also was you know wanting to she was on her way out basically in terms of wanting to to die and um, basically it was written on the birth on the death certificate actually coronavirus and the the family just it, it wasn't true you know so that's one example another example was a 33 year old woman she was a niece of a client and 
also had extreme severe complications and actually had no sign of the coronavirus but the coronavirus went on her um you know on the on the death certificate so in these situations the families have been really distressed because they just know for a fact it wasn't true that's just two cases that i know of and and the fact that they medically induce comas i find that really disturbing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah can yeah, you, exactly. Can you explain to us why why they would consider that that would be a treatment? I think you know, from a medical point, the theory would be that helping the body to recover the lungs by taking the stress off. But actually, if we break that theory down, it's actually the reverse that the body's under more stress in that situation because we don't have our own nat- natural natural vitality when we're under anaesthetic or you know induced comas um so it's it's interesting that you know methods probably i don't know if it's the right thing to say but of pacifying someone for a short time until there's actually space to deal with it you know to actually deal with the real issue i've, I've heard a lot of that of people being not you know, not being close to death and then being put into a coma and actually that's what... Yeah, 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 it, exactly. It's uh, the, the body doesn't have its natural uh, vitality in that state. Therefore, the symptoms will go deeper. The person actually in that state probably makes a choice to leave the body, you know, to be... Right. And... You know, I just, I just think it's an inhumane. Yeah, yeah. Well, despite all this, <laughs> I do, I do feel so positive at the moment, and I feel like all of this is going on, and it can only serve to increase people's awareness of the body and how it works and cellular health and all the things that we both are so passionate yes. about and, and yes. we believe in and actually you know as you've been so articulately saying the body has this natural intelligence and the body is always seeking to heal the body is always seeking to reach its optimum state and actually there is so much that we can do to support mm-hmm. the body in that um mm-hmm. so i'd like to to go there for a bit and just can yes, you tell us yeah. what you feel a can you tell us what you feel if people are in good health what are the best things they could do to support themselves at this time and then mm-hmm. also separately for those who feel they might be vulnerable because they have autoimmune issues or chronic yes. health conditions what would be the best things for they them to do to support themselves yeah okay so the the first thing really is hydration and diet so to have the the body in a place where it's receiving a lot of antioxidants and in that position the raw food diet is no best is better for that than anything and so juicing and smoothies and good quality water and making sure that food is uh, prepared naturally and of plant-based origin um, really in order to bring the vitality back to the system so supporting through 
uh, alkalinity. So again, the raw food diet has alkalinity and um, color for the antioxidants. And so really working on the antioxidant levels and hydration and vitality will raise the body's energy in a very natural way. And so that would involve, you know, avoiding things that are animal based or um, heavily processed um, glutinous foods, for example, um, high sugar. Um, so people who are well are generally following this sort of lifestyle, I feel. So the next stage for them would be incorporating naturopathic techniques. And I feel these are the magical tools um, that will really take people into a state of higher wellness, what I call, you know, the sort of, yeah, the the really high place where people can actually feel like at their best rather than just energy and I know you you really feel passionate about naturopathic techniques as well Kate and I think that I really feel in regards to my own health and some of my my clients health they probably wouldn't have come out of uh, strong illnesses without naturopathic techniques so some of these examples would be uh, castor oil treatment on the liver on the lungs if you felt there was a weakness there. Uh, how that works is you actually make a compress and apply it directly to the area for at least one hour and three consecutive days in a row, ideally over a period of sort of three weeks or so. And that strengthens and cleanses the major organs. And you can actually put castor oil anywhere on the body. You can actually rub it all over and have a bath. You can put it direct, but it's useful to do the liver if people haven't done that before as a starting point. If there was a problem with lungs, you'd actually do lungs and liver and then consecutive days rather than just as they're amazing. And also enemas, they're really a, quite a powerful naturopathic technique and many people We'll say, oh, you know, I don't want to do an enema, but actually when they do one, it's quite transformational in terms of how the energy improves, how the lungs clear, how we clear much faster way. And so enemas are used quite a lot in our approach alongside colonics and uh, simple things like using Epsom salts in the bath, using, you know, a large amount of Epsom salts. Again, you'd, you might use this method under supervision. You wouldn't use it if there was a temperature, but it's actually very, very good for aches and pains and for someone who's actually feeling like low in energy. It's very, very energizing. I think for temperature, the, probably the best ones would be cold therapy. So doing like your hot and cold showers and cold baths and even simple techniques like a flannel on the head, cold flannel. People have gone so far away from natural methods now this, they reach for things like calpol or paracetamol to bring down a fever over cold flannels you know it's a simple technique but quite powerful mm. if my children have had fevers at, at certain times i've always done the cold method on the head and then cold socks on the feet wet socks on the feet mm. and that brings the temperature down really quickly so these simple methods can be very very effective and sort of moving on to people who are in a more chronic state where they've got complications, seeking guidance of a health practitioner uh, in the, the field of naturopathy or in the field of sort of nutritional coaching um, can make a big difference. Um, but simple things would be actually cleaning up the diet very gradually, bringing in juicing and also starting to do some naturopathic techniques very slowly so that they can build up that vitality and also release some of the toxicity 
And it may be that that's over a longer period of time rather than just sort of all at once, you know. Um, the homeopathy also comes into it to treat symptoms if people are in a chronic state of health rather than actually doing medications. Uh, they, can, they can be very, very effective. And one of the techniques that I've used a lot for people with the dry cough is the uh, in, in the netty part. Have you tried this case before? Yeah, you inhale it. it. Yeah, tell us. Yeah, so you use um, a netty pot, which is empty, and then you don't add water, but you add salt, pink Himalayan salt and uh, three three to five drops of uh, iodine, so potassium iodide, blue golds it's called, and you would put that in the onto the salt and then cover over the netty pot and hold one nostril and inhale the iodine which then directly gets to the lungs and uh, with iodine, it actually is such a purifier. It clears all pathogens. It's so powerful. So that's quite good for coughs and particularly what's been happening with this situation. Also working on sort of vitamin C at a high level as well and working with antioxidants at a high level really help as alongside and uh, some of the things that you've been recommending Kate the adaptogenic tonics you know the the mushrooms and uh, anything that's adaptogenic will help the body to heal mm. and so that they can be very good as well but the naturopathic techniques are really magical they really make lasting change happen really quickly and I've had situations where for example my one of my client's mother really she felt that she was dying it was the situation with her lungs where it was really extreme and she put a compress on and she left it on her and she recovered in 24 hours yeah. so it was really quite a big turnaround yeah. and really that we didn't know whether it would work or not because this lady was medicated and you know wondering actually was it her time you know but actually it was really really transformational and this is a situation where this woman didn't even change diet because yeah. she's sort of elderly and not wanting to change that much yeah. and the compress actually turned the situation around so it can be very good. I'm constantly hearing about stories actually where people have used natural foods and uh, naturopathic techniques where they've turned the situation around quite quickly. Mm, I've got so many stories with castor oil and I just think it's so oh, wow. overlooked and people will you know, much prefer to go out and buy some potion or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yet this yeah. is the simplest thing. And so many times people have said to me, Oh, I've got this thing and I've tried all these things and nothing works. And I'm like, Have you tried castor oil? And they're like, No, and yeah. they do castor oil and that's the thing that shifts it. Wow, yeah. I I just totally love it. And you know what it's actually doing at a cellular level is deeply cleansing the cell but it, it's actually raising the frequency of that organ so that that organ then can respond in a much more vital way and yeah it's it's really overwhelming sometimes how much it does change things mm -hmm. um yeah so, so so many people have had benefit from that over the years and most recently you know doing the compresses on the lungs and the liver mm -hmm. and then or or if there's not enough time to do that just rubbing it on and going out in the sun or into the bath for 20 minutes or in a sauna in a sauna yeah yeah mm -hmm. so um yeah like i was saying i just i have a very positive feeling about this time and particularly when i do my meditations 
which I'm trying to do every day here in Bali. I'm getting really beautiful meditations and really, you know, high frequency stuff coming through. I'm really yeah. just seeing this as a big, it's kind of like a savasana, I think. It's like mm-hmm. a, a rest mm-hmm. between poses and it's really a chance to, um, I feel like we're, we're experiencing a frequency upgrade and this kind of enforced rest period is giving us a chance to really absorb those frequencies and and when we come out of this phase however we do come out of it which nobody knows we'll be we'll be on a much more um uh you were saying something just now which which really tied in with it but a much more um elevated frequency elevated yeah Uh yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from your perspective of what you you know and understand yeah absolutely just like yourself i feel like I feel better now than ever. I feel like there's something that's shifted during this time. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm actually encouraging people to call it retreating and self-reflection rather than isolating. Mm-hmm. I think isolating them seem like a negative word, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the retreating and self-reflection allows people to see and feel where the missing links are or the gaps are within their own lifestyle and um, diet really and I think it's really helping people to reconnect to feel more grounded to notice where their truth is and to actually slow down and feel because often people are so busy that they they're missing a lot of the cues which show us the truth or show us what our true potential is you know if we're able to cook for ourselves naturally and be at home and start to feel into that it brings a, a much deeper awareness so the more I'm speaking to people, the more I'm hearing actually people are really enjoying this phase of being in this self-reflection and self-retreat. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is if we look at the astrology, there's, it's almost like the opposite is happening in the astrology to what's happening, you know, in the media or the, you know, the external version of what we're seeing as the coronavirus. Because the energies that are happening right now, We've just actually moved into the Aquarian age at the beginning of March and it coincided with the equinox. Mm -hmm. And that's often described as the golden age or the age of enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And in this phase where there's more photons coming in, so more light particles coming in through the planet. And if people want to read around it, it's described as the photon band, which means that actually we have access to healing truth awareness and connection much more than we've ever had mm-hmm. actually we were lost in this phase twenty six thousand years ago mm-hmm. so it's actually quite an exciting time for yeah. change and it's a time of uncovering personal truth planetary truth and getting to get into know ourselves more deeply to see what our personal path is or our true purpose is to really connect with consciousness. So meditations, as you said, are so lovely at the moment. And so many people are saying they're meditating and they're also doing group meditations and distant healing. And this is the time for natural medicine and for healing to really come into its own. And that's why, you know, it is called the golden age. And I I really believe that it's the starting point for us as collectively to get into that place of more balance and shaping a different future. Uh, The planetary 
sort of alignments right now are all around alchemy and creating our own reality. So the truth really is that we can actually create a different world from this point because it's like a reset, you know, it's like a reset of everything that we know of. And I, people are, off, are saying often, oh, it'd be great to get back to how we, you know, get back to normal. But I, I kind of thinking we won't have a normal after this, you know, there's, it's been a huge sort of social collapse on every level. And I think, you know, when you get that type of um, breakdown, you get huge breakthroughs in that process. So for me, when I read around the astrology and when I connect in the way that you are, Kate, I feel this excitement, which is a strange feeling because of course there is a lot of distress happening at the same time. And there is a lot of uncovering of, I guess, darkness or get into the truth of what is the core of what's happening. And I think it's like a duality going on. But I think if we can hold that healing for ourselves and the change being us, you know, individually, there's going to be such a different outcome of this. There's a a wave. It's a global healing crisis, isn't it? When you have the childhood diseases like chickenpox and and measles, then the child... When, who's allowed to go through it naturally has a big growth spurt afterwards, right? And I noticed with all yes. my boys when they got any of those childhood illnesses that yes. afterwards they would be drawing so much more detail, their writing would improve, their speech would improve. And I feel like this is what it is. We're in the <laughs> we're in the disease phase, but out whereas we come out of this, there's gonna be just such a massive growth spurt. I think that's really a nice way of seeing it and it's 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 true when people go through the the healing the so the crises as you said there's huge healing at the end of it and that that's just really exciting to, to see that that's going to be sort of manifesting in reality once we come through this sort of phase that we're in mm-hmm. and so I think if people use their minds and in their meditation and their affirmations around shaping the future that they want mm-hmm. and focusing on that um, and to really get ourselves in a space where we are in creation rather than breakdown mm-hmm. and uh, yeah it's uh I've noticed it with my children as well. They've gone through huge spurts of change and transformation during this time. And they're in a different place as well. So it's happening, you know, with much younger children as well. And not just adults, you know, even if people aren't having those, you know, acute clearings, they're having clearings on an emotional and a mental level as well. We're all, we're all really healing at such a deep level. Amazing. Amazing. I think just lastly on that, the talking about electromagnetic frequencies, the planetary frequency is changing so rapidly. And this has been sort of documented, whereas we would have been at a certain resonance before. Now we've moved into a, a much higher frequency. And that's been documented at the moment in terms of the, the planetary beat and the vibration that we're in planetary. And I think that's all, a lot to do with meditations as well. So many people are meditating. So many people are focusing on healing. That there's yeah. there's a big shift happening. Yeah. yeah, Emma, I appreciate your knowledge and information so much, and the way you can articulate it in such a a calm and um, easy to understand way. Thank you.
no it's been it's been brilliant just to have that kind of clarity around information and just you know for me this is one of the biggest parts of what's been going on is just the lack of clarity in information and it's all been it's it's funny to me because all the people who claim to have the science and the logic they're the ones who are the most illogical right they don't have the kind mm -hmm. of like backup for their arguments mm -hmm. so uh, yeah, I really wanted to speak with you so we could really get into some of the facts around natural health. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. It's, it's just really great. And it, it actually is quite calming when we speak about it in this way, where we know that actually the change comes from ourselves individually. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's where the peace comes. And I find that when I'm listening to different views through the media or through reading online I sort of check in with myself and say how does this feel you know and to feel into what gives peace rather than yeah. what gives distress and I think that's a good truth um sort of radar for me <laughs> to be able to understand you know is something resonating or not really and what's empowering right because this is the whole yeah. thing with the modern modern medical system is it's fundamentally disempowering and there's yes. no, in that system there's no support for the person to understand their own health better or do things to take responsibility for their health and so that's why that system is so broken right now because yes. such fundamental disempowerment in it and when we have the information to understand really what's going on in our bodies and how we can support our bodies best that's so empowering right mm -hmm, absolutely mm. I, I just know that that's where the change comes when people know how to treat their bodies when they know how to look after themselves the empowerment in that is just in and that's really what's so brilliant about this work with dietary changes and lifestyle changes. People really feel it and it's really marked the difference. So, yeah, the empowerment is everything. Mm. If someone understands how they've got Ill, Ill and how they can resolve it, they can do anything. It's totally the key to everything, I find. Yeah. yeah. Mm, brilliant. Brilliant. Emma, can you tell us if um, people want to find more about your work, if they want to um, take any of your courses or what are you offering anything online at the moment yes so um, we're actually um, doing webinars which are on various subjects in relation to what we're talking about immunity and um, all sorts of things really so we've got a backlog of um, recordings if people want to listen into those and also we're, we're running our naturopathic nutrition course online currently, which is a one to three year course. And that actually allows people to qualify um, by the end of it. So they become a naturopath. So it's um, for people who want to do it for themselves, but also people who, who want to get that qualification or deeper learning. And that's uh, that starts again in September. But we we're doing workshops during the summer and also the seminars, um, which are weekly to link in, and also personal consultations. If anyone needs to have a one-to-one, -one, you can contact us. And so you can find that information on lovenaturopathy.co.uk. So that's lovenaturopathy.co.uk. And you're based in Cardiff, right? Based in Cardiff, and yeah, people can consult over zoom or telephone if that works for them and also you can find us on facebook and instagram and yeah all the other sort of social media methods yeah emma thank you so much for your time it's been brilliant thank you so much really love speaking to you really appreciate it thank you
for listening. Don't forget to check out royalliving.eu. We have such a wide selection of herbs to support immunity. Uh, you can also go to katemagic.com. There's lots of articles there on supporting immunity as well. If you look through this podcast, the Royal Living Podcast, there's an earlier interview with Barbara Wren, who we were talking about at the beginning. And please subscribe and like the podcast. It does really help. Thank you. See you next time.